It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means. It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Woo! This week, starring special guest star, Mr. Stephen Memmel. Woo! Thank you. And the crowd goes wild. Where's my mouse? Kill the band. I mean, they're already dead. <laughs> All good to go. Or guys, you know, I knew them well. You know, <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you, Michael. It's been a while. It's, it's been a been while. Like a couple years. At least, yeah. Yeah, if not more, yeah. yeah. You, don't, um, you don't like me anymore? No, I like you. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know who Steven is, because he's been at the Road Rally, I think, every year but one for, gosh, 12 years, 12 more, years or more. Wow. I know. Um, and always wows his, the people in his class. Um, so I'm going to give you the short bio, which is he's the creator and the energy behind the science of switching on, he and Timothy Leary, a unique and impactful system that enables him to achieve rapid and dramatic results with all performers. And I've seen it with my own eyes. I'm going to tell you about that in a minute. He's internationally recognized. He is an internationally recognized voice technique and performance coach, as well as an award-winning actor and director. He has aided in building the careers of some of the most talented and successful people in the world of entertainment. His clients have recorded on Sony, Jive, DreamWorks, BMG, and others. Among those who've worked with Steven are recording artists Maroon 5, Sarah Bareilles, Jesse McCartney, actors Drew Barrymore, Justin Long, Isabella Rosalini, and many more. we got to talk about her. I know her, too. Oh, absolutely. Do you really? I do. Oh, she's amazing. Um, he's taught at Musicians Institute, UCLA, USC, and is a regular speaker at seminars like the Taxi Road Rally. Yeah. Conferences and universities around the world. Mr. Stephen Memo, yeah. Hey. So Please, no more. No more. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that's done. Yeah, right. You know, Halsey I've gotten to work with, too. Which really? I haven't added her to that list yet. But, ah. yeah, I got her ready for her first uh, big arena tour because she was going on tour uh, with Imagine Dragons. Yeah. And she was she was actually charming, a hard worker. She had real creative vision without being a jerk, but didn't let herself have to accept anything that felt wrong to her. You know, I was yeah. actually there at center staging when, oh, yeah. when they were setting the lights and doing all that, and she had a real artistic vision. Um, but also, I remember we came out of the dressing room after I was warming her up, and she was looking at all this hubbub going around, and, and she went, oh my God, I was just a girl with a guitar. <laughs> I mean, literally, it was that close. She was 20 years old. So that's really. Bria actually had her on the list of people for today's show. And I didn't think she sounded indie enough, so I took her off. So obviously, right. you trained her, you know, you got her vocals whipped into shape to where she wasn't indie enough for this episode. Yeah, I ruined her. You know, she would have had a real career if it weren't for me. Yeah. Um, anyway, I want to say welcome to all you guys. Hello, chat room people. Uh, let's see, we've got Vincent. Don, James, Gloria, Mojo, Linda, Peter Rahill, DSC, Lou Lewis, Paul House, Dan Weber, Skylar Johnson. Anyway, um, hello to all you guys. Hope you all had a wonderful holiday, um, holidays, plural, warm and fuzzy with lots of family and friends, and that all went well. Um, so the story I want to tell you about Memo, um, and I know him well enough to call him Memo, um, many years ago at the Red Rally, probably like seven years ago, uh, he 
did something on the the main stage in the grand ballroom that I mean I always knew he was good at what he does and I knew he was really good at it but we had two artists a husband and wife folk duo from up near Woodstock New York named Mike and Ruthie they're really talented um, but they're they're not quite shoegazers but at the time they were very underwhelming on a performance level their their vocals are great their musicianship is unparalleled their songs are great but they were just they would stand there and play their songs reserved that's the word i was looking for yeah. and uh so memo gets up there with the two of them and he has them contorting as if you took a cattle prod and inserted it in a certain body cavity <laughs> i mean they were flopping around that stage I'll, i remember standing off stage thinking to myself if he ever does anything like that to me it'll be the last time he ever shows up at a road rally i would be so embarrassed and Mike and Ruthie were totally, I mean, they just rolled with it. They were wonderful. Yeah, they were. And at the end of like 45 minutes, they looked like seasoned professionals that had been out on an arena tour. Well, two days after the road rally, they performed at a little venue in like the Encino part of the San Fernando Valley. And pretty much most of the taxi staff went to see them live. And they incorporated everything you showed them. They look like rock stars, which is really hard for a folk duo to do. Yeah, well, it's because you know, I was talking with somebody about this just uh, on the way here. Uh, I'm going to be working with a client of theirs. And the idea that you can't just be shown how to do something. You need to understand it from an internal level. Uh, yeah, somebody can show you the outside and the form and all that. Yeah. But it's when you really... Um, absorb it and integrate it and have that oh experiential memory of it that they, <laughs> of standing on stage in front of a thousand people look, looking like an idiot well I, I don't know if you remember I don't know if I even ever told you about this but it was very uh, the way I worked with them that day was uh, a result of my son I have a 12 year old son he was uh, I like think at five or five six, at, six yeah. at that time um, his name is Noah and um, at home while I was getting ready, he couldn't he couldn't leave me alone. So he was like acting wild and everything. And I, I, I one thing I really don't like to do is, you know, squash the energy right. and the vibe vitality. So I created a little game for him where he had to stay on the bed, which was near the closet, right? And I said, Okay, so um, this is the wild spot. Can you do wild here? Do the wild and he went, wild like that. I said, Okay, now here and I pointed to the other side of the bed I said this is the stillness spot can you do the stillness and he was like <laughs> and so I had him going back and forth between that and I went hmm so that's exactly what I did with Mike and Ruthie I had them because there's a uh, there's a thing I call Stephen's law of relativity which we can talk about at some point but but it's when there's a distinct contrast to something else that the penny really drops for us. And so by having Mike and Ruthie not be sort of reserved, but be completely reserved, so it's intentional, and then sending them the opposite direction, it was two very distinct, solid things they could do, and then feel the, the contrast between them. It was funny watching them 
Uh, Ruthie was much more adaptive to trying the crazy stuff. Sure. And Mike was saying that he had such fear in his eyes for the first couple of minutes. He's like, he looked over at me off stage like, I'm going to kill you. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, he did. And then he totally started going with it when he saw sure. Ruthie like going with right. it. Right. It's and, infectious. Yeah. And by the end of that session on the stage, man, they just looked like... They were killing it. Yeah. They really were. Uh, and, yeah. and they've done really well. By the way, they, they're in a group called the Mammals, and they literally tour the United States, probably other countries as well, with two little kids. I think they have like a, a four-year-old and maybe an 18-month-old or a two-year-old, and they are, are like touring hippies, you know? They jump in the van with the kids, and they do big folk festivals. They do shows... If I had to guess, I'd say two or three shows a week pretty much year-round unless they're recording a record. That's so, a lot. And they've been doing this for, for a long time, so good on you guys if you watch the show. Mike and Ruthie, you're awesome. You guys are. So uh, i got to tell you guys, uh, the reason I asked Stephen to be on the show today is that we get listings in for people looking for indie stuff. A lot of it is for film and TV, sometimes records, uh, and, and they're looking for indie singer-songwriters, indie bands, and all the listings hit my desk before they go out to you guys. And, and I look at the, the listing sometimes and the staff will say something like, you know, must have a big chorus and a big performance on the vocal delivery, and I go, nah, Reference Act really doesn't have that. So I really started thinking about it, came to the realization about 30% of the acts that are out there now are kind of um, not like what we, what I grew up with and what Stephen grew up right. with as uh, would be defined, you know, as a hit pop act or a hit uh, rock act with um, a big chorus and a big vocal. Uh, the indie sound is, is anathema to that. So I asked Stephen, well, first I had Bria put together a few songs that are representative uh, uh, of the vocal delivery, and I'm going to have Stephen listen to these things. You can comment while the music is rolling, because sure. we'll play it off the speakers, and then we'll get into a little more depth after the fact about sure. how these people delivered that sound. Were they just born that way? Did they work at it? Is it part of a culture? All that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So... You know what I, I thought of, too, would be interesting, because there really is a difference in the indie sound. Mm -hmm and and uh, the place that it has in the music. I, I thought it'd be interesting to get some feedback from your mm -hmm. chat on, before we start, what do, what would they call the indie sound? What so, were the differences? Um, you know? Before we even play the music? Yeah. Okay, and do you want them to define how, yeah, just do you want them to say how they would define an indie vocal yeah, approach? Yeah, what differences are they? Not a big okay. deal, just a couple of little things. We don't even have to comment on them yet. We can read them. And, All right, so you know. cough it up, you guys. That's a good idea, actually. I like that. Um, so like, what's, you know, what would, how would you define an indie vocal style? Mm -hmm. Ah, it's our flaws that define us. That's kind of cool. There's actually Mojo Bone. There's one very specific thing we're going to listen to that I'm going to comment on with that. Rootsy. Mm -hmm. Close dry vocals. Uh-huh. Conversational. Very much so. Not auto-tuned. Uh-huh. Young voices. Uh, you know, 
going with the young voices thing uh i can think of some neil young ain't young <laughs> yeah <laughs> and he's about as indie on the vocals as you can yeah get. He, off the cuff less refined yes more conversational yeah dryer that's interesting that a people are a couple of people are saying dryer because uh well listen i think they are imperfect they are authentic but there's massive amounts of uh effect on them uh yeah, yeah. I mean, everybody's kind of got the idea, you mellow, know. Organic, mellow, organic, layered, real. Yeah. Thin. Pronouncing words differently, absolutely. Or not, man. Or, or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. No, that was really great. That's really great. Thank you, everybody. That's we have a great audience on the show. I got to say, I love these people. I actually, I didn't do the two episodes during the holidays. I didn't do one the week of Christmas. Mm -hmm. I didn't do one the week of New Year's. I actually was kind of chomping at the bit to get back and I hang bet. out with these guys. It's become a family. In a yeah, good, yeah. In a good way. Well, a, I, I a was... family that I don't have to hang out with after the show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, somebody said recently, if you want to test your spiritual evolution, go spend a week with your fa with your parents. <laughs> you <know? laughs> You'll see how evolved you are. All right. So uh, ready when you are. All right. So let's see. Oh, you know what? Um, I got a little stuff I want to talk about before sure. we play it. Sure. Um, let's talk about before we get into it. Let's talk about what you just asked them to define an indie vocal. Okay. Define <clears throat> a, a typical professional record quality hit artist vocal. Oh, you mean uh, of the older type? Yeah. Uh, uh, okay. On the female side, like Lady Gaga, Whitney okay. Houston, Mariah Carey, well, Kelly Clarkson, Adele, Beyonce, Rihanna, Ariana Grande, Pink, Christina Aguilera, Demi Lovato, Taylor Swift, Carrie Underwood, Celine Dion. You know, those. Yes. Guys. Yes on all those. <laughs> yeah. You know, and um, I'll tell you, I really got a feel for it when uh, I, I was coaching uh, a, a guy. Will Champlin, who uh, got down to number three, the last three on The Voice. And so it was the final night, and he had a song that I was a little worried about, but then, but he did it brilliantly. I mean, it's great. His best one in that whole thing was when he did that last, you know. Yeah. Uh, that was, it was brilliant. But uh, Will Champion's dad is actually one of the guys in Chicago. Oh. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so he he had a distinct advantage. Oh, definitely. <laughs> but it was a beautiful rendition that he did, and very touching. Um, and but there was a young woman there who you know pulled out all the you know the big voice and all that. I said he doesn't Uncle gymnastics. He doesn't stand a chance. Yeah, you know because the audiences, the big audiences, the typical audiences, are still going to look at the vocal pyrotechnics. Yeah as the really discerning factor. Um, it's flash, and that's not uh, representative of all audiences by any means, right. but, but it is of that. And then there's a smaller subset, which is very large, thank goodness, for indie artists, uh, that respond to a very different thing. I happen to be one of those things. Mm -hmm. I recognize the agility, I recognize the skill, and. Uh, the musicality that it takes to be able to do the other stuff, but I'm not going to personally sit and listen to that much, you know. It, it kind of comes down to 
people want more authenticity these right. days, I believe, artistic authenticity. Like, who are you? Can I hear who you are by Absolutely. virtue of what comes out of your mouth versus, well, then again, Mariah Carey, maybe that's who she is when she's doing well. Yes, know, pyrotechnics, as you so aptly call it. Um, yes, but but you're exactly right, and 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 what you're talking about is a massive cultural revolution too, because mm. the same thing is transparency in business. The same tr thing is is you know this whole movement of all fields of endeavor, business, society, uh, schooling, everything is about uh, finding more authenticity, finding more grounded personal communication and contact. Yeah, it, it connects with your 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 audience, your buyers, your customers, right. all that stuff. Um, we feel like they're us. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly enough, I was, I've been reading a lot of the controversy about PewDiePie, you know, yeah. and his position. And, and uh, He's a, probably the number one YouTuber. He is, 75 million subscribers. Almost 80 now. Almost 80 now, and which uh, came because somebody was about to come and steal his spot. So there was a big uh, push by his followers to pump him over. Um, and it was actually a Bollywood organization that was going to take him. Wow. I swear to God, man. Uh, so anyway, but, <laughs> but you know, what a lot of the articles that were more scholarly about this, though they're still YouTubers, were saying that, you know, it's it's tougher because traditional media and traditional artists rely upon all these middlemen and these shields between them. So it's a double-edged sword for a guy like PewDiePie, who is a massive influencer, mm -hmm. because what comes along with that massive influence is also a lot of exposure, where if you do the wrong thing, which he, he made did some missteps. About yeah, nine or 10 months ago. Exactly, right? exactly. And he lost a lot, but he didn't lose his core audience because he can't. Right. He can't. I mean, just about can't. Everything's possible, but it's because it's not with an organization that his relationship is. Right. It's him staring straight at you, talking to you every day, and you feel like you know him. I've recently—I I was sick around Christmas time. I think the week leading up to Christmas or so, and and stayed home from work for a, a full work week, which is really rare for me. I really couldn't do much work at home. I, my head was so stuffed and I just felt so miserable. I ended up watching a husband and wife that in their late 20s, early 30s, decided after getting married to travel the world, backpack around the world. Oh, sure. And their names are uh, Kara and Nate. Mm -hmm. And uh, they start out with a lot of air miles, um, not a lot of cash. Um, he's got a good business. As a matter of fact, he just recently completed his MBA. And they're a nice couple from Nashville. They're all American. And watching them in the beginning, their shooting chops were not that great. Video, right. video chops, right. not that great. Not terrible, but not that great. Sure. Um, editing chops, uh, Kara does all the editing. Not bad, but not great. Mm -hmm. um, the stuff that they were talking about, it's like, okay, how many meals a day can you eat and talk about this is the, you know, right. the, these are the best pad thai noodles we've ever had. But 
you couldn't help but keep watching right. because of their authenticity Correct. and their connection to you. Right. You literally felt like you were on the trip with them, even if it was as mundane as them spending 96 hours on the Trans-Siberian Railroad. You felt like you were in that little cubicle of a yes. room with them. Yes, You could almost smell body odor. I mean, seriously. I get it. And now here they are two and a half, three years in. And first of all, I want you to know, they, they speaking of transparency, Transparency, they publish their income and expense report every sure. quarter. Mm -hmm. They made $90,000 last quarter of right. uh, their last fiscal quarter, um, which I believe was one of the summer quarters, you know, probably like July um, of 2018. So, you know, if they can repeat that, they're making 360 grand a year pre-tax net by and, traveling. And they will. Yeah. They will. And, and they've only got 400,000 subscribers, right. which compared to like uh, PewDiePie or Casey Neistat or... Right you know, any of the big ones. Um, it's a fairly small audience, but very loyal. They get um, anywhere from 25,000 to a couple hundred thousand views on any video. Mm -hmm. But it's all about the authenticity. You know, and I, I think that brings us to an important point, and this is, strays a little bit off the indie vocal, but it doesn't stray from the indie artist. Right. Indie artists. Thank you for saving that. No, <laughs> no, no, I but. I'd gone down. No, that. but it, it really is appropriate because what you're saying is very, very powerful and is outside the kind of consciousness of an enormous amount of artists mm -hmm. who feel you feel you have to put a song out you feel you have to stand behind your songs you feel you have to do covers or whatever and, and I find that when I make the suggestion to artists to not even do that yeah I mean to do that excuse me not not do that but even before they've released the EP to start just showing up on mm -hmm. YouTube and letting people know who you are that you're going to be doing that and never stop letting people become comfortable with who you are and and find your personality because that's what we're interested in. They get and, attached. And I have one artist I work with that actually Bria knows. Um, well, I'll tell you later. But anyway, he went through a, a, a physical illness recently that he felt was stopping him from being able to move his career forward. And I said, no, 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 it's quite the contrary. I said, get on there and share with people how... I'm moving back, you know, I've, I've made this inroad. I can I did this sh song today and show today because I've gotten my balance back a little mm. bit, you know, bring him into his into yeah. his world of healing and his journey so that, uh, you know, people want to root for you. And the more you're willing to expose of yourself, and I don't mean you got to you know, tell people your fantasies about dressing up as a nurse and all that, <laughs> if you're a guy. Um, but, <laughs> sorry, I don't know. Uh, that's, why, that's why it's been three years since Michael's brought me on the show. Um, but, but, but you don't have to do that, but, but it is such an important part for people to want to listen to your music. They want to listen to you. Yeah. You know? Yep, and, and as your audience's bond with you grows, so will your talent, so right. will your delivery, all that And stuff. they get to be a part of that. Yeah. Um, so what were the hallmarks of, yeah, the technical hallmarks, I guess, sure. of great pop vocalists like the aforementioned, you know, Whitney Houston, Mariah? Well, they have enormous range, mm -hmm. okay? I mean, really crazy range. They have incredible power in their voice. And a dynamic range, too. Um, I find that 
uh, most of the DIY artists I work with aren't really even so much aware of all the dynamic range that's possible. So you get my, kind of like this kind of a curve, you know, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit of rise and fall. But with the, these people, you get these boom, boom, you know, big. They weren't born that way. They may have been born with it in their body. Correct. But they had to learn how to they did. leverage that talent. They absolutely that capability. did. Yeah. They absolutely did. And it comes from a lot of active listening and saying, what is making that exciting there? Um, so they have an incredible breath control, whether they've trained it or not, but it's incredible. Um, they have the ability to make an enormous amount of different tonal qualities because you can find not just within a phrase change of tonal qualities, not just within a couple of words, but literally you can hear a single word go through many Wow. Tonal changes and timbre changes and I've volume say, changes. I've never, I've never noticed that. But One of the great songs to listen to, you know, I, it's an older song, but is Delilah mm -hmm. um, by uh, the Plain White Tees guy. Uh, no, no, the uh, uh, wait, am I saying it? Samson. It's Samson by uh, uh, Regina Spector. Thank you, Regina Spector. I play that as a demonstration because it's clear from the range that what she's doing vocally is not because is not because of she has to do that it to get in that range because the same uh, exact parts of the melody are done so many different ways and mm. you know it, it's just such variation and such change in timbre and power and breathiness versus intense and focused sound and it's just a masterclass in it because it's it none of it is done self-consciously what it's done is because her voice has developed to the point where she has those qualities and abilities and skills, and I can talk more about that later too, but she goes to the place where she's involved in communicating that story, and so her- The Frank Sinatra, I mean, king of the world on that. It is totally that, and so when she goes for a certain, when, when she wants to express a certain thing in a certain way, it calls forth that quality in her voice because her voice can do that. Which leads me to something I didn't put in my notes, but I've had the thought, sorry, there's a, a feather floating around my face. Um, you help actors as well as vocalists. Right. And, and I remember I had two approaches to producing vocals back in the day when I still worked in the studio. One was help them forget where they are and what they're doing just let it rip because mm -hmm. you, you'll get that unguarded right thing um, and the other was to turn them into actors think, right think about what you're talking about convince me you know right and, and right. that didn't really dawn on me until uh the, i was the assistant engineer on the band firefall's first album the song you are the woman and right. uh ricky roberts the lead vocalist said i can't do this without somebody to sing it to. So I think the producer gave me a hundred dollar bill to go to a bar and bring back a bunch of young ladies, and we put them in a semicircle. Perfect. And he took a fifty-seven handheld mm -hmm. and sang it to these ladies in the chair in, in one pass. He nailed it because he had an audience to sing to. Correct. Correct. And and and, was, and, and you got to do exactly what you got to do. What you want to do is over time discover what is it that you're experiencing or thinking differently with the group of people in front of you mm -hmm. that you're not doing 
when they're not in front of you. Oh, right? yeah. Nothing worse than being in a vocal booth, you know, six foot by six foot yeah. booth, and it's just you, your breath, the headphones, and you know you've got four people in the control room analyzing right. every friggin' thing that comes out of your mouth. Who the hell could sing like that? That's, That's right. That's right. And, you know, because I, 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 we're going to stay on the technical for a second, there's reason that I want to give you as artists why this is so, why the more you think about your voice, the bigger trouble you're going to be in. <laughs> it's because only five, and some of you have heard me lecture, have heard this before, but only 5% of your brain processing power is consciously, that we're consciously aware of, 5%. And it travels at a maximum speed of about 500 words per minute. 95% okay. of your brain processes information, um, well, unconsciously, right. and goes at a speed of about 250,000 times faster. So 95% of your brain is traveling at 250,000 times faster than the conscious. Your vocal cords are this big. They have probably about 36 notes on them. Mine are that big. No, but, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> uh, but, but try subdividing that into 36 pieces accurately right. with, with a puny 500. It's not going to do it. So the minute we go into story, we, are, we transcend the ability to be unconscious. Uh, something that validates exactly that is... is um, snap decisions that we Correct. make a million of them throughout the day. Correct. Do I, do I turn right on this red or not? Is that car coming is that car coming too fast and too close for me to make the right on the red? We don't even think about the fact that we just thought about it, but we made that decision in right. a split second. Right. And because we trust ourselves and that's what you have to do in the booth too is you have to um, trust yourself or on stage is trust yourself to take a risk that you're going to sound like doggy doo doo, you know. Yeah. You'd rather sound like doggy doo-doo and figure out why that's happening than stay self-conscious and be trapped in that self-conscious place. Nothing worse than punching in syllables. Yeah, because <laughs> you can get to the point where that kind of freedom is as natural as breathing. Just nobody talks about learning how to develop these two skills, you know. I don't know if this is the appropriate place in today's episode to bring this up, but Lady Gaga, mm -hmm. I think is one of the greatest vocalists that's ever lived. And at I the, would agree. At the end of the Monsters Ball thing that was on HBO a few years ago, they showed her warming up backstage with her background vocalist. Mm -hmm. And I, I was not a fan of hers until that moment. I mean, I appreciated the concert and thought, wow, yeah. this is really fresh and new. I mean, she took Madonna's whole shtick to a level that Madonna can't even do. And, and But that... Singing a cappella with her background vocalist, that woman has a God-given gift. She does. And she recognizes it, knows how to use it. I know. Anyway, just one of the greatest vocalists. No, it's, it, I, I completely agree. So, okay, let us listen to the first artist. Is This is, uh, the artist is Big Thief and the song is Paul. Oh, the last time I saw Paul, I was heartbroken and almost let him in. But I stopped and caught the wall, and my mouth got dry, so all I did was take him for a spin. Yeah, we hopped inside my car. 
Okay, speak over this. Will they I'm hear? Sorry? Is it okay to speak over oh, this? Yeah. Will they hear? Yeah, they can hear us. Okay. So you see, the melody is pretty repetitive within a very small vocal range here, and even the chorus is even a smaller vocal range. Which is mind blowing to me. Mind blowing. And, and then it's a good lyric. But it's, the voice is almost like a pad, yeah. the function that a pad would take in normal production. It's like, uh, very breathy. Can almost not even hear the words she's singing. Right, right. That little synth part becomes the melody, or is the predominant yes. melody. Yes, yes, and in some of the other songs we're going to listen to even more so. But she has a very sweet voice. It's lovely, but it's not like... You go, oh my God, what a vocalist. You're going to yeah. go, that's a nice She's no sound. Lady Gaga. No, no. <laughs> but she also risks going really tiny. And I find people have trouble risking going that tiny. They'll hide. They'll be quiet because they're hiding. But they won't purposefully, intentionally be that tiny. That's because they haven't taken, had you coached them yet. That's right. I remember I had Stephen coach me to do a speech at the road rally one time and you taught me about the getting close to the mic and get really quiet and then get bigger. Right. It keeps them alive, wakes up the audience. It does, and it wakes us up too. Yeah. It doesn't let us get yeah. to a trance. Yeah. You know. But hear how smooth that is. It's like ambience, ambience, and there's a lot of production space around it. So Okay, so now there's a technical issue that's troublesome for a lot of people who are used to singing a particular way because of the amount of intentional breathiness. Mm -hmm. People sing breathy be frequently because they don't have the technical skill to get their chords together. So it's, it's a liability, it's not an intentional uh, color. And when your chords are open slightly and have a breathy sound, you're gonna run out of breath faster because you're spilling a lot of air. Mm. So if that's happening, you've got to have the consciousness that you're gonna be running into that and compensate for that uh, appropriately with taking bigger breaths to do the next line. So, but I, when I hear an artist like this, I think, okay, she was born like that. She, she was born, her vocal delivery, that's her natural delivery versus somebody who, I, I, I could be wrong, it's just my, you know, it's like a first blush thought that I have when I hear that. Um, but then if you took somebody like a Kelly Clarkson, mm -hmm. she would have to work at 
understanding that delivery. She would, and she could do it. Oh, absolutely, she could do it. But she would. It wouldn't be her natural state because she's been trained otherwise. So that's part of the reason that I wanted you on the show today is that so many people have spent an entire career learning how to, or attempting to be Kelly Clarkson. Right. But now this is cool. Right. And and it's something that I call, there's something that I call a mental macro, which, you know, macro on a computer is you push one button and it executes a lot of different commands. So, you know, if I ask you to pass me that can right there, could, could you reach over for it? Okay. So, as I Michael... I thought that was a metaphor. <laughs> as my, oh, yeah, right. As Michael did that, at product placement, um, as Michael did that, he wasn't thinking about, you weren't thinking about, you know, the muscles that you do and everything like that. You had a macro yeah. reach for the can. So... Um, so everybody has a macro that they've developed called sing. Okay. Okay. So that when you think the word sing, all these mechanical things just boom go into gear. And right. they may not be the mechanics that are going to yield this sound. So by virtue of that, you're not going to feel like you're singing when you first start doing this kind of You made me thirsty. Singing. Oh, okay. You're not going to feel like you're singing. You're going to feel like it's phony. You're going. I mean, there's a well. It's a, the five percent versus the ninety-five and yeah. the speed at which the macro happens. All that stuff. That's a, that's precisely yeah. it. And so you really have to practice doing it for. And it's, it's it functions differently. The the voice actually functions differently as an instrument in the track, and that even gets more pronounced than some of the others we'll listen to. I like uh, your discussion about the vocal cords. Um, it's kind of like trumpet or saxophone or flute. Any totally, of the wood, totally. woodwinds because yeah. you can play, uh, you know, a, a flute. Um, I don't even know what the the words are, but you know, very gently and a mm-hmm. lower octave, and mm-hmm. it's very breathy. <laughs> yeah, or, or or you could make it very, uh, yep, pointed and uh, strident and. Yeah, you're all, absolutely right. Yeah. It's 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 exactly. The same thing. It, it, it's literally no different. Man, I wish I had teachers like you when I was going through kindergarten and college because I would have actually gotten good grades. You and me both, stuff. baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you and I had ever been in the same class together, we would have been both, such trouble. <laughs> yeah, we would have been expelled every day of the week. Uh, <laughs> there's, no, there's no question of that. Lasco, memo. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You two, who sit next to each other because your initials are close, so you know. Right, that's right. Um, do you know, I still remember the girl who sat in front of me through most of grade school because uh, she was K and I was L. Jenny Cates, if you're watching today's oh, show, wow. I've never forgotten you. Yeah. Um, Marilyn okay. Monroe, I, I didn't know you, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, now let's have a listen to Brazil by Declan McKenna. Okay, he's interesting. Now, we've already violated the don't have a long intro thing here. And most of these songs do, you know. It's still going on. See, I hear that and I think instrumental cue. Still going on. But a new layer. 
perfect dropout of the of the music. Yeah. Right. Okay, can you pause it for a second? Okay, so one thing that I really noticed with him, first of all, when people were talking about it's more abbreviated, more spoken, he's very conversational like that. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is when you talk about flawed and not hiding the flaws, you'll notice throughout, and listen for this, he, at the top of the melodic melody, which doesn't go very high again and really stays pretty much where it is, he gets really tight and strained mm. almost every time, sometimes worse than others. But it's part of him stylistically. And at one point, I think it may be in the bridge, he even, you can, you can tell, I've reached my top. So he breaks into falsetto because it's clear nowhere he, else to go. Yeah. Nowhere else to go. Yeah. But, um, but still his delivery, there's about zero, zero sustain at the end of every note. Yeah, this is who he is. It's who he is. And for most people I know, even people who are good uh, contemporary singers, it's hard to cut off everything at the end of a word. You know, some, they want to linger with a little bit. So especially one of the differentiators in, in, a, mm. in a vocal style is what do you do at, at what is the sustain like? Because the, the thing that there's no vibrato in, in pop music, that's such horse pucky, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Um, because if you listen to it, there is. Women get to have more vibrato than men, okay? But even men, it exists, but it's the way it's used and how other notes are ended, you know, dropped and uh, downs and, and, you know, to kind of swoop downs and stuff like that, that mix it up and make it sound not, you know, legit, right? Right. Okay? But this guy is to the extreme, and he does some other things. I'll put this up front uh, so you guys can hear it as it's going along. Um, I hear Bob Dylan in him, and especially at some places like uh, 1 minute and 28 seconds to 1 minute and 35 seconds, Dylan. Okay, you know, you'll hear the whoa. Uh, how far in are we now? Uh, we're 110. So. Okay, so okay, it's coming right, right up. All right, so let's have a listen to that section. Right. Bob Dylan. <laughs> with a little helium. Yeah, with a little helium. <laughs> and on the word eyes coming up, he does a downslide. Eyes! <laughs> 217 to 224, Dylan shows up again. Or Tom Petty. Tom Petty. May he rest in peace. Exactly. And even a little bit of Springsteen with, later on without yeah. the energy. Yeah. It's funny because it's a bouncy little pop ditty. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. really interesting. It's, 
Good guitarist, by the way. Not so important. Right. You hear that squeak? Yeah. So again, what makes it raw is he doesn't care that his voice is doing that stuff. You know, most singers have like a conniption if their voice cracks. For him, oh, terrific. My voice cracked on that one. Let's take that one. Yeah. You know, print. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 also the fact that it's it's an expression, the function of the voice. Again, this one a little less, but is more like an instrument, you know, and it, it, it kind of has a like a repetitive sort well, of thing. He, in he's it. He's using yeah. it rhythmically, like, rhythmically, like a rapper would. Uh huh. Um, but it's not trying to it's no. Um, Facsimile of a rap, right? But it's got. Is that me? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's definitely using it as a rhythmic instrument. Exactly. It, it adds to the boom, boom, boom. Exactly, exactly. And the next few that we have coming up, you're going to hear the ambient nature of the indie vocal even more so, where it's so far back in the mix very ethereal sounding very uh, ethereal steeped in reverb right let's have a listen yeah um because we gotta be conscious of our time we have 45 minutes left and i do want to get to the being scared to death you got it of an audience or a microphone okay so bria you're gonna have to help me with this one uh this the song title is chihiro by yost And you have a melodic hook here that drops out when the verse starts. And then it comes back in later on. We're still going on with the intro again. I mean, I like it personally but it's not what we were taught. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. 
the guitar is so much more forward than the vocal, which is way back here. And a lot more activity in the yeah. guitar part, too. And the repetitive melody again. Da, 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 Another thing people should listen for is how laid back the vocals are. And we'll talk uh, about... What's that? I said absolutely. Yeah, and what that means. I'll explain that in more detail later. So sometimes in our listings, say, looking for indie singer-songwriters, this is the kind of indie they're talking about, not James Taylor. Well, right. he's never indie, but, you know, not that old folky singer-songwriter. This is the modern definition of indie singer-songwriter. So again, it's the idea of the function of the vocal being different, which you have to have in your mind as a singer because you can't be out there to show off your voice. That's not what it's about. It's about to feel its place as an instrument in the totality. Especially if you're the writer and the artist. Correct. You can envision that as you're creating a song. That's right. This would be tough to cop if, if somebody hired you as a vocalist. It would be. And said, come in and do this. Right, yeah, right. Where, where do I right. start? Because you're thinking, I'm supposed to sing. You're not thinking, I'm supposed to be a layer in this soundscape. It's a great word for it, soundscape. An ambient soundscape. That's exactly what it is, yeah. Um, this is Yoast, Y-O-S-T. I haven't been watching the chat. Are they going, why did you have this guy on the show? No, <laughs> no not at all. They would so never good. say that to your face. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I didn't catch the name either. Yes, Yost. Y O S T. But but if, uh, most people know. But the idea of laying back is 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 very important, and your skill at being able to do it, it can make a big difference in the sound of your vocal. Laying back is if here's the beat. You know, the beat has a like a total pocket, a pulse right in there, and to uh, to push on the beat, you're him. Da, ba. You're mm -hmm. pushing ahead on the front end of the beat. So it's almost like there's a hair of an e a edge of pushing forward on the beat. And this is more. Ba, 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 ba. It's like just a hair afterwards. So everything's laying back. And I work with a, a, a great drummer frequently. Uh, Scotty Cormos is his name. Dang, Scotty moved to Nashville, but who, know, who cares? But he would always ask, but where, you know, where, where do you want me on the beat on this? Yeah. You know, because he could play at the far front end. He could play right in the center. He could play at the back end. You just needed to tell him what it was. Yeah. And this is, for the most part, I think there's one that, it's less so, but for the most part, this is really hanging back. And you can't have a feeling of being late. That's what the difference is. Right. You can't be late. So that's why you've got to be in the the mood of what it is. So the, the technical aspect is being able to make the sounds, 
you know, like that. Da da da. This guy's higher voice than me, so I can get get up there. But ba 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 ba. No, really, like that. And then you know, be able to fall into the 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 dream of of the song. You're really good with your adjectives. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it is. It's dreamlike. It's ambient. It's all yeah. those things. And that's part of the indie style. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, most of the folks in my generation and several of the people in the chat room are of my generation, um, we all gravitate to the music we grew up loving. Right. And we do tend to get a little stuck there. Right. And, and being uh, a taxi, I have to push myself. Even stuff that I don't like, I have to listen to it so I can at, at the very minimum be aware of it. But I love studying it to understand what makes it work so that if somebody isn't accomplishing that goal, I can speak intelligently, not as intelligently as you are today. Well, but, 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 you, but you do know. You, you've analyzed it. And if you hadn't asked me on the show, right. I probably wouldn't have dug in, you know, unless I had a client who was coming in and do this, right. dug in quite as much. But it's, you know, to me, part of the fun, like you just said, is the analysis because yeah. we have to analyze and then we have to take the part of how do we practice what we've analyzed and then how do we perform what we've analyzed this doesn't know it doesn't have a shelf date on age you know what i mean somebody who's 60 could do this absolutely Uh, i mean this um easily yeah i mean this was a little young sounding just Mm -hmm. you could tell this was a 20 or 30 something right and you might not be able to pull that off as a 50 or 60 but for many of them it's about the the approach it's about the mental attitude very much so all that stuff it's not about your age yeah um Let's listen to The Less I Know by Tame Impala. I love this one. Um, Me too. Let's have a listen. And here we have a little bit more funky kind of vibe on it. But still, it's very spare. Yeah. And transparent. So you hear each instrument with clarity. It's because there's only five instruments. effect is that dreamlike state it is the vocal is not being treated like that correct correct and this is the one i was talking about is it it does sit on the rhythm more but even so it's still hanging a hair behind the beat though they are looking as you said for that more rhythmic And it's the most complex melodically, too. But still, fairly narrow range. So 
love to ask the band if they brought in a bass player for this. Oh, the execution, on, yeah, yeah, the execution on the bass is just too wonderful. Well, yeah, because it's really holding that pocket, like yeah. you're saying. You know, it's really a pump. Doesn't feel like an indie band bass player. No. This episode is called Two Old Dudes Bobbing Their Heads. <laughs> they always make fun of me for bobbing my head. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel like one of the Einsteins in, what was that movie? You know, the bobblehead Einstein. Right. Night at the Museum, I think. Yeah. Did you know? Yeah. Totally off topic. <laughs> the kid killer. <laughs> totally off topic. You know, recently Bob Einstein, who played Super Dave Osborne, died. Oh, like, right, right, like about right. a week or so ago, uh -huh. I think. And, uh, you know, Albert Brooks is his brother, but Albert mm -hmm. Brooks's name was not Albert Brooks. What was it? Albert Einstein. Are you kidding? That was his real wow. name, so he changed his name to Albert Brooks. Anyway, and he, totally off topic. Well, you want to hear something even more odd than that, which is I brought in a quote by Einstein today. Really? Yes, because, you know, <laughs> this is new for a lot of people, and a lot of people are going to be trying it, are going to be trying out some a different vibe and not you got you got technical things to do like how do you create tone enough tone but let enough air go through it without dying and suffocating um you know how, and and how do you make it musical on top of it and then how do you create that get away from the technical differences that you're trying to integrate quickly yeah you've got to have an i don't give a damn attitude about right technical aspects right that's and, pretty clear and so a lot of people have the question well how do i do it how do i do it you, you know and i love the einstein quote where he says uh, somebody asked him how do you work and he says how do i work i grope oh grope for ideas yeah in the dark we're all in the dark you know so so when we try anything out we're in the dark we're groping around and hopefully we find something you know, but we know it when we find something. Mm -hmm. uh, now the question is, when you find something and you land on it, do you do anything with it? Yes. Yeah. Because a lot of people go, oh, that's interesting, and they just keep trying something else. Well, you know, that, that was my whole capturing creativity class that I did this year at... At the rally? At the rally. Sorry, yeah. I wasn't there. It was in the ballroom. Oh, no, no, I understand. But the whole thing about capturing creativity, which, um, which is... Uh, you know, I'm going to be doing a virtual class on this soon, but it's the idea that you know how they say restaurants, how much food they throw away every day, and we're trying to have these social movements where they ask the restaurants to deliver them to places for people to eat. Well, when you ask somebody to come up with an idea, this is a uh, thing I uh, exercise I came up with. Like, for instance, if you were going to write a song, what would you write a song about? If you had to write a song right now. I'd go with a relationship song just because they're easy. Okay. Easy to sell. <laughs> okay. And what was the very first thing that popped into your head that you threw away because it wasn't good enough? My family. Okay. So that's the restaurant. You're, you have 95% of your brain that's unconscious. Okay. It, that 95% served you up your family. But to a person, when I do this with somebody, they always throw away their first idea. 
which is what you just gave me the idea Yeah, because I, I instantly analyzed it and went, unrelatable to anybody but me. Right. But you said just a second ago, you know, what do people do with it? You know, they go on to something else. And it's part of the same thing is we need not to judge our creativity. We need to be curious about what comes up. Huh, I wonder why my brain served that up. We are always judging ourselves. We are. We are. Anybody who's involved in any form of creativity, you're constantly second guessing yourself. How, how do you think I know all this? <laughs> not based on, not, it's our own insecurity. It is. Wondering if others will judge us in the same way. It is. It really is. And, and the idea is, you know, Seth Godin, one of the greatest marketers we both know. Yes. You know, he, he's so prolific. And he, people say, how do you do it? And he goes, I ship which means basically get it out the door, get it out the door, get it yeah. out the door. And I re was reading a whole nother thing about get it out the door, imperfect action, progress, not perfection. Just get stuff out there because you can't even tell if your stuff sucks until you finish it and put it out there and go. The bumper sticker. Yeah. What's that? <laughs> Bree and I had the same brilliant thought at the same moment in time. I looked over to ask her to get this and, and she was already thinking of it. Write, submit, forget, and repeat. This is a phrase that was coined by some taxi members probably 10 years ago to the point where people now put it on t-shirts and bumpers. Absolutely, stickers. that's great. Write, submit, forget, and repeat. That's right, and, and that's really what it's about. And don't get precious about it. Right. And everybody's gonna get slammed and hit. There's no way you can avoid that. Yeah. There's no way. So just get in, make it. How are we doing on time? We're okay. okay. Um, I, we will talk about live performance of uh, vocals in a live performance scenario and performing solo in front of a microphone at home in the studio um, and overcoming stage fright, which Stephen is possibly the world's greatest expert on. Um, okay, now we're going to listen to Wildlife by Raya. Um, this is our last one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Again, the melodic hook. Yeah. Very breathy. <sighs> yeah, so breathy. Again, very laid back on the beat. Range. If you sped this up and changed it texturally, it'd be a normal pop hit. It absolutely would, and that's how it's gonna I was on the same wavelength and I was thinking, this could be a featured vocal type thing yeah. if you produced it very differently. And what makes it clear that it's the chorus is if you listen to the hi-hat, more subdivisions, and then it drops out. See? We 
when we talk about hooks in our listings, those little musical riffs, those are all hooks. They are. Back in our day, in our day, a hook was the chorus. Right, no longer. Yeah. See, that, that hi-hat really gives the idea that it's speeding up, but it's right. not. A lot of layers in this. A lot, I was just thinking the same thing. It's no long that hangs on with yeah. the reverb. Yeah, so again, it's very ambient, but this one does have a little bit more featured melody, which is what you were picking up by saying, done another way. Right. You know. Yeah, very pop melody. But again, yeah. very laid back, very ambient, very breathy. And you can tell, uh, to me, I can tell clearly that she'd have the chops to uh, intensify it, intensify it and do a Sia on it. You right. Know? Yeah. Yeah, I have mixed feelings about Sia. Not whether I like her or not, but uh -huh. like at one moment she's more indie, other moment she's very poppy. I right. Mean, she's pretty chameleon-like with, within a range that all sounds like Sia, which is a good thing. No, but her. you're very right. Um, okay, so let's talk about... Didn't uh, you want to analyze Mary Poppins next? No. Oh. <laughs> let's talk about... That was definitive. Um, <laughs> I just saw the remake. Well, not the remake. Oh. Uh, the, the Was it good? It, it was, yeah. Passable. Okay. Uh, no, it was better than passable. It, it was a very clear nod to uh, the original, um, almost to the point of being a little too close. But Got it. the performance was, performances were there, um, the scenery, the costuming, everything. Yeah. Right. It, uh, Deb and I went without any kids. Oh, so that told cool. You. And yeah. we walked out going, not so bad. All right. Um, shows you how exciting our lives are. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, oh, live performing. Let us talk about that. Um, Let me just check one thing out. We're allowed to have fun, right? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, live performing. Yeah, but I'm trying to remember the context. Somebody said, are you guys going to talk about live performing? Um, I'm trying to think of a way to frame the question. The question is... I, I don't know whether to incorporate your stage fright stuff now or just general thoughts about live. Let Why don't you just take it away with, okay, if you had a client that said, I'm a singer-songwriter, I want to be great at singing vocals live. Right. But I've got issues, you know. I yeah. don't think I'm doing a good job. Where do you start with that and what kind of advice do you give him or her? Well, you know, we're always working toward the same place. Which is? Which is... Um, a space I call, you know, with, I have this thing called the five model called the five stages of ultimate performance, and it comprises the physical aspects, which are the technical abilities to execute what you need to do. It's the mental aspects: are we undermining ourselves or supporting ourselves mentally? It's <laughs> that the stuff. yeah. It's the emotional aspects. How do we connect to a song and stay connected to it and stay fresh with it? even though we've done it a million times. And most people write their song and then end up being a reporter about that song for the rest of the time. You know, they report the news, right, rather than 
reliving the emotion. Reliving the emotion, right. So how do you how do you do that? How do you get there? And then our energy and how we work with our energy to to take us out of the trance, you know, that we get into when we get into our head. How do you still coach people on Skype? Oh yeah. So how do you, uh, what's your, your website, stephenmemmel.com? stephenmemmel.com. Right? Stephen with a V. Right. Um, so how do you coach somebody who asks this question, somebody who lives in some faraway place like Lafayette, Indiana, and says, mm-hmm. I, I want to help, uh, I want to get some help performing live vocals. How do you do that over Skype? There's no problem whatsoever because, wow. because first of all, um, all I have to do is tell them to set up the camera and step back we put a microphone there and they're performing like they're performing to just like in my studio to that pretend audience right mm-hmm. i have people not look at me not sing to me because um i don't want to have to be an audience for them i want right. to be able to watch them and help them but i've worked with uh bands remotely like wow yeah like we'll set up the camera in a rehearsal studio and you know the whole band will be the drums guitars everything and I'll watch them and then we'll do the timeout and we'll sit and we'll talk with each member about what they need to do and how they need to do it. So it's really not an issue whatsoever. The only thing is I can't actually physically move somebody, which is sometimes helpful. Right. I've seen you do that. Yeah. What you did with Mike and Ruthie. We're yeah. grabbing the shoulders and the waist. And Yeah. So how, what are some of the common things that you encounter uh, well, what happens is there seems to be a division between, and I haven't done a formal study, between people who feel more comfortable in the studio than in front of hmm. an audience and people who feel more comfortable in front of an audience than in the studio. But the, uh, the, the problem boils down to the same thing every time, which is... Our job is to do as little as possible to dissuade the audience from believing we are who we say we are in that song. Say and that, that again one more time so that those of us who are a right. little slow. Yeah, and I, there's a reason I say it like that. I used to say uh, we, we want to make the audience uh, believe that we are who we say we are. That's the and, goal. Right. But... But I don't believe you can force an audience to do anything. Like if I don't want, if I decide not to get mad, there's no way you're going to make me mad. You know, I might leave, but I don't have to get mad. So audience doesn't have to do anything you want it to. Um, so that's why I say as little as possible to get in the way of an audience believing you are who right, you so say take, you are. Take away that stuff that masks. Yeah, okay. that gets in the way. So that means, you know, the best liars believe their own lies. So that means you've got to learn how to allow yourself to truly be, you know. Don't act happy, be happy. Don't act sad, be sad, you know. And it's a skill that can be developed because I didn't know what I'm saying to you from a hole in the ground. And I was like a bored. Um, but now, I mean... <laughs> acting you know or I'm really excited yeah. you know or whatever you can actually be it right so so you have to have the ability to 
analyze, first of all, what it is you need to be, which is why you can't, you know, there's one thing I say, you can't um, uh, say this is a sad song because that's like a blanket that's thrown over everything. And so you forget, you mask all the nuance that's in there where we laugh when we're sad or we get pissed off or whatever. So, so somewhere, the person who's in the studio and feels com more comfortable in the studio feels comfortable because they don't feel on the spot to where they, where they shouldn't be doing that. They can do that thing of being yeah. in the studio. But, and they also don't have the feedback of the live audience driving them. So how do you deal with that? Because well, but, you are, you're alone, baby. You know, um, my philosophy on that is you are not uh, there for the audience to bring the party. You are there to bring the party. Right. So... But um, you do get feedback. Well, I mean, it's crazy to say you don't, but I, 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 I feel I can do pretty much the same level of performance with two people in an audience as with a thousand people. Now, it's going to feel different. I'm not a crazy man, but, but we're making a subjective judgment in our head. We are we are, are are saying, oh, there's only two people. What's that gonna do to our energy? Yeah. You know? But if we don't make that judgment, if it's not about that, if it's about the intensity of what the experience is in that story. You know, somebody once said to me, movies are um our life with the boring parts cut out. <laughs> you know, and and you could equally say that of a song. So if I'm in agony because uh, she left me and she's never coming back, you know, I'm in agony, and I don't care who's there. I'm in agony. Right now, if I need need somebody's approval to believe I'm in agony, you know, oh, the audience they believing I'm in agony, so now I'll feel the agony more. That's a great point. It's my job, you know, and. I know it can be done because that's what I teach people how to do. Um, and, and, but that's why I say everything's, you, you know, it'd be great. You'd have to be a moron to say that the audience isn't going to affect you. But it's gravy. Mm -hmm. You know, it shouldn't make the difference. I don't want to be that vulnerable. You know, I'm inherently um, an introvert. Mm -hmm. And when I'm on stage at the road rally, I'm just so comfortable with that room full of you put right. me in front of a thousand people. And I've discovered that the reason I'm so comfortable is I know them. I, right. I know what they want to know. They are my people. They That's are, right. They're my tribe. <laughs> and so, that brings me to one of the absolute crucial key things about stage fright and performance. Okay. okay. And this even is true in business, working with business people and everything. But um, it's what's driving you. Right, you first of all think ambivert, all right, because okay. you're an ambivert, really, which is which are people who are situationally mm -hmm. or circumstantially either extroverted or introverted. But also, um, what I was talking about, uh, what I was thinking about on coming here, a new name for it that we either can be self focused or other focused. Okay. What are some of the others? Well, when when I'm other focused, like you are, you just described it. Right. They're your people. You are there to give to them. Right. I am there for them. Your whole Absolutely. purpose. Your whole purpose is that they should walk out of there with a transformation, with a change. Yeah. And 
your whole being is you're not there going, I hope they like me. Right. I mean, maybe that thought enters you when you do a glitch or something, but Honestly, probably doesn't. It doesn't. We go yeah. into a transformed state Did where they walk out of this ballroom knowing something they didn't know when they walked in. Right. That's my only goal. That's it. And I actually have a ritual I do, which I did before I came onto this, which is what am I here to communicate is the question. And, and in a situation like this, I know that I have some specialized knowledge that most people either haven't been exposed to or haven't put the level of thought that I put into it. And my, my goal is that each and every one of you walk away with at least one thing, at least one thing that you can ponder, reflect on, that may break, break a wedge in how you've been thinking about things so that something shifts for you. If I was here being concerned because I suffered from horrific stage, paralyzing stage fright, Really? Oh, I did. How old were you? Five? No, I was in my twenties. <laughs> really? Yeah, I was in my twenties, and uh, it's a quite a journey because I got, I got very depressed, and it was a very hard time. What did you want to be um, when you grow up? When you were always a performer. Okay, actor and singer. But and here's something that I'm actually going to be talking about more in the stuff that I'm writing out. I've kind of disappeared for a year and a half or two years, but it's going to be coming up and. And there's a thing I'm referring to as the gap. And there's a gap for each and every one of us, for some of us small, for some of us large, between what we know we're capable of, what we know is inside us, but what we seem to be able to get out of us. Mm -hmm. And we're always disappointed at some level in ourselves, you know, until we get to the point where my second part of my ritual is the promise to myself that regard that I'm leaving this feeling good about myself no matter what happens during the experience okay. okay what if it goes to hell in a handbasket how can you leave because i made that promise to myself i'm doing this in the middle while you guys think i'm just pondering a question i'm going and this thing is going so goddamn south. I can't believe it. I am sucking big turkey turds. Okay, I'm having a laugh about it, you know. I go, okay, well, there's nothing you can do about it. You made yourself a promise. So, hey, let's go a different direction, you know. It, but when we try to fix it is when we become paralyzed. We're trying to fix it by being more right because we've been wrong, right? Well, that goes back to the insecurity factor. It does. Yeah. So screw it that it's wrong revel in the wrongness of it and do something weird nobody knows you know and i've got lots of very concrete ways of doing that um they're challenging but but these are there, there are actions you can take for instance one thing is literally making that determination so that when it's going south you do like let me let me think of an example one second um okay so you all thought i was thinking about an example Right. I, I was sitting here thinking, is he going to dress up like a nurse? You know, right, exactly. <laughs> but what I was thinking about is I said, let me think of an example. And I, on purpose, was thinking of little bunnies hopping. Okay. <laughs> but I, I doubt most of you were thinking that I was doing anything except trying to think of an example. But that means that the people can't read your mind. So you can put your head down. You can do whatever you want. You can consider a question and going, okay. Can I run fast enough to get out of this room? <laughs> but you see, now you're not trying to resist the feeling. 
which is what bottles up your energy and stops you from being able to flow through. You know, the truth, when we feel aligned within ourselves is energizing. So the minute I can say, I feel like doggy turds, you know, in front of people because you finally realize that they cannot read your mind, even if you sit there for 10 minutes. What about when you're in the studio all by your lonesome uh-huh. and there's nobody in the control room because it's just you? Mm-hmm. Um, what sort of mental process would you apply to that that scenario if you're feeling like I'm just not nailing it? What kind of... Sure exercises a, yeah. a mental state you need to be in to pull that off when there's nobody in the room to criticize right. you but you. Okay. First of all, you have to become aware that you're pushing on it and pushing on it and pushing on it, trying to make it right. Because that's what we all first do. We think that if we hammer it into submission, mm-hmm. we will get it, right? But there's a point, and sometimes you can push yourself over that threshold, but there's gotta be a point at which you recognize that, that ain't happening. And I have uh, a, a process that I teach people to go through before they go on stage, but you, if they need it, but you can also do it in the situation that you're talking about. When we feel a feeling that we don't like, our focus becomes on ridding ourselves of that feeling. I wanna get that, I don't wanna be nervous. I don't wanna mm-hmm. be nervous, I don't wanna be nervous. So we get into what I call an energy lock, where what the truth is, which is we feel like crap and we're nervous as hell, and what we're trying to push away, which is the nerves, they start in a competition with each other. Yeah, cognitive dissonance. Correct, Yeah. correct. What I teach people to do, it's, it's a several step process, so bear with me for a second, is sit down and go tell the truth. <sighs> I feel like doggy turds. I'm. I just, I feel horrible. I'm nervous as heck. This is you with yourself. Mm-hmm. If you have to do it out loud, do it out loud. I am freaking out. I, the last thing I want to do in the world, I'll use your circumstance, is to try this. I have to keep, uh, you know, cleaning up my language. Um, it's, it's not a, like we're live right Yeah. Is, is, last thing I want to do is try this lousy, stinking vocal again. I'm not hitting it. I don't like it. I don't think I'm talented. I mean, I don't know. Who cares? It's just, I'm just dogging it. I should quit. Now I'm in the truth, right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's how I really feel. And I go, well, you know, I actually can quit. I, I really could just turn off every single one of these machines right now, get up and go out and eat, uh, you know, 10 In-N-Out burgers or watch a bunch of TV in front of the tube. You know, that's where you usually watch it. Um, but <laughs> it's no longer a tube. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, watch a bunch of TV. Uh, I, I could just throw it away. As a matter of fact, you know what? I think I'm done. I think I am finished with this turd. I'm just getting up and walking out of here. And if you need, wait, wait, wait. Okay, If you you need to, even in this process, get up and start walking out the room, okay? Mm -hmm. And then stop yourself and say, okay, Hmm. am I really going to do that? No, I'm not going to do it. I would really like to get this vocal. So then how am I going to do that? 
because it's been stinking. Well, you know, my hand still functions. My mouth, okay, I can still make sounds. Can I breathe? I can stand. I can do those things. Well, I guess I'm going to drag this nervous, feeling crappy piece of whatever in front of that microphone, hit play, hit record, and go. You know? And what you've done in the process is you've realigned with yourself. You're not arguing with yourself anymore. You've taken back control. You realize, and the reason the way I do this is usually with, I don't have to do this performance. Is it a form of uh, neuro-linguistic programming, NLP? What, it's, because it's truth is what it is. It's not fighting the truth. You know how when you finally admit the truth to somebody, you feel so relieved and that pressure and that tension, maybe it's been really dangerous. Maybe you're worried about the outcome once you've said the truth, but, but at least it's out there, right? Right. We feel so relieved at that moment, regardless of the consequences. And How, what if somebody actually does walk out of the room and says, that's it, it's not going to happen tonight. They walk out of the room. Will they come back tomorrow? Are there any well that depends the... that depends on on what you're talking about because you were talking about being alone in the studio right okay so yeah you can uh, I, I I would suggest practicing this uh, process because I mean I had to speak at Harvard last year you know and it was a bunch of high level people and everybody was freaking out these were people who were used to speaking and they were freaking out. And I just did my little thing. I walked halfway out of the room. It was going to be televised and the whole thing. And I was having a good laugh because I said, no, I'm not going. You know? And then I was released. And I, I had a great time. You know? Because I wasn't using all my energy that's your creative energy, that's your freedom energy, to hold this other stuff at bay. You know? It takes a lot to push off fear. It takes a lot to do that. Yeah, you know, as you were saying that, I was sitting here thinking, boy, if only Memel could be in everybody's pocket as they're having these moments so he could coach them through. Uh, I mean, obviously, you do coach people down a wire. Um, mm -hmm. But, and I've seen, I, I saw it with my own eyes, what you did with Mike and Ruth. They never met you before you walked, right. oh, well, a moment before you walked up on that stage. I don't know that on my own I could summon the intellectual strength that some of these things require. No, and and that's why you need to come study with me, you know. But but it, it's it's stuff that I mean when I tell you I had debilitating stage fright, I, I, it is no joke. And what was so frustrating is that once I got a job. I was able to do it, but it was trying to get a gig that sometimes, and it was so frustrating because I felt a, like a prisoner within myself because I knew how good I was, but I never knew when I was walking into something whether the Stephen Memo who was capable would come in or whether the guy for whom English wasn't even a second language. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what I felt, you know, yeah. I couldn't speak. And then of course I'd go home and, and you know, have at myself like nobody's business. You're an idiot, you're, you're, you stink, you lousy, all that. That just doesn't happen anymore. So, so I spent years developing this stuff, and now what I've done is I've distilled it 
so that it doesn't have to take people years. I can teach these things in very short periods of time. And how, are you talking minutes, hours, days, or weeks? Well, it, it depends on the intensity of time working together, but it also depends on uh, you know the person's willingness and openness. It depends on how willing, how how much focus and concentration they're willing to put on it. Like for instance, I'm reading some stuff about changing consciousness about money, okay? I don't read the book. I read the book, but then I go back to that uh, particular paragraph, that particular line, and I spend a lot of time reflecting on, just like I do when I absorb a story for performing a song, reflecting on the depth of that. What does that really mean? What is that kind of, you know? And I allow it to penetrate me, me so that now I'm really practiced at this, so I can do it very fast. But like right. anything, you've got to take baby steps at first. Are you uh, guilty of this? Uh, when? Be, uh, when you say that you've got to take the time to reflect. So many people I know can't take any time to yeah. reflect on anything because they are goosing their endorphins by their yes. constant relationship with their phone. And, and you just look and think, Geez, you've probably wasted three to four hours today doing that on your phone. Don't get me started. Yeah, which, which could be used in this valuable time to live your dream. I have ADD, and I didn't find out until later in life. Yeah. And it's borderline, so it's not ADHD, but, but I have not liked the impact that I have become aware of that doing the wrong thing has had on my life. And, and it's hard, it's really hard to move away from the space of regretting and move toward the space of, so therefore, what now? And so I've spent an enormous amount of time over the last year tuning myself to what are the things that are the signposts of not doing the right thing. Like I've noticed, I've noticed a pattern that I can say I need to do this X on the computer and I go to the computer and there will be a voice in my head that says, just do this before. And so it'll feel like a little left turn, but down the rabbit hole and I'll wake up 20 minutes later realizing I haven't touched what I actually set out to do. I do that every single day of my life. Okay. I, I, I'm a man who lives with practically no regret. I, I actually, this weekend, was thinking, do I have any big regrets in my life? Which you think about as you get older, you think right. more, more frequently about that. I really don't regret anything. I'm a pretty happy, well-adjusted guy, if I say so myself. Yeah. But I do find that I will find other busy work it mm -hmm. also has value if I need it does to, have value that's yeah. the dangerous part of it right like uh, I will edit taxi listings or something when I what I really need to do is hit a deadline on the newsletter so what you need to do I mean here's some of the things I've done what moves the needle does this move the needle right you know so that's one of my things um, I've tried all sorts of things like I have one of those LED scrolling things on here so when I go to you know it's, it's like LED. a ticker tape Oh, you know, like yeah, an LED like a stock thing. Yeah, you know, and sometimes I haven't done it a lot, but it's been effective when I've done it. I put the task as I realize I'm about to go to the computer and do a task. Yeah, I put the task on the ticker tape thing. 
right? <laughs> and I set it up, and it's in yellow. So as I'm doing it, it keeps drawing my eye. Oh, I'm supposed to, you know, and it keeps me. I go, oh, let me go straight to that. And it might be five false starts where I'll go straight to it, you know. So, but what I've been able to develop is more of a consciousness about am I doing the thing or am I doing that other stuff? And it hasn't been that long and my awareness is so grown that I just go, ah, I'm doing the other stuff, boom, back on. That's something I need. That's my New Year's resolution for the year is to try and um, not busy myself with busy work that also has value Correct. and does move the company forward. Right. But it's not what I need to be doing. Correct. I, I'm guilty of that every day of my life. And, and so I, I, I bet are most of you listening, you're probably out there, I, I can't say, but probably out there going, oh my God, I, I do that too. I mean, does anybody re relate to that? Yeah. Let's see It'll here. Take like 10 seconds to show up. There's a little time. Oh, left. okay. Uh, by those who have said bye. But yes, um, and this is very important because what are we practicing when we're rehearsing? So another thing of stage fright is most people practice um, ineffectively. Mm. Okay. So one of the things they do is they rehearse the song over and over and over and over again. Right. Okay? Reinforcing the crap. Reinforcing the crap. And we... We do that because we're afraid that we won't get the whole thing if we don't. But also, to do the tiny little things that will change stuff by deepening the places where it's in error or a mistake, that's too intolerable too because we fear then mm -hmm. we won't get to everything. The truth is though, the more granular you become, of course keeping the idea that there's a whole big picture, the more granular you become, your system starts understanding what being really present with the change of one thing is. So it starts affecting the other things around it. Do you do classes for like groups online? or do you, is Yeah, all, I do. So all the work you do isn't one-on-one. -on -one. They can go one-to-one, -one, no. but you can do like... Absolutely. Not. And, and is it like an ongoing weekly thing? Because I can't imagine... Uh, you know what? I'm I'm wrong about that. I was going to say I can't imagine you having a big impact on people in just one like 90 minute class. But then again, I saw you transform Mike and Ruthie. Well, I do. I you know I do do intense things like that. But I also have like the capturing creativity class, which is going to cover some of this stuff. You know, yeah. it's different. Um, but that's going to be a five week class, and I'm putting together right now um, a 90 day. Uh, class, which will be virtual meetings once a week with uh, recorded videos already of, of the Science of Switching On stuff. Mm -hmm. And with each person individually, I sit down and plan what their trajectory is before the class starts so that they're learning the systems and the strategies um, with a focus to achieving a particular thing or for them for them right and and then we make sure we're on track and we adjust but 90 days uh, this this is my first 90 day program I'll be doing which is why it's you know if anybody wants in you should let me know soon because it's 
the cheapest it's ever going to be. Well, I'm going to yeah. plug it now because we're five minutes over, um, which is not unusual, as you guys well know. But um, StephenMemmel.com has all this information. Well, actually, it, uh, it does, but I have some stuff I need to do. So here's what I'm going to say, if I might, for yeah, a second. Go for I it. have two things going on. I'm going to post this tomorrow, which is I've been doing a kick your year into gear mm. package of five individual hours for $500, okay, which is ridiculous because I'm usually 300 to 350 an hour. So if you want in on that, and I only can do a, a limited amount, but uh, DM me on, uh, or I mean, uh, message me on Facebook, or just uh, email me at steven at stephenmemmel.com and tell me you want one of the five for five, because uh, that would be ordinarily like $1,700, $1,500 except it's $500 for five and I, hours. I want you guys to know, I don't ever ask him for anything for free. Um, you know, this is not like I'm promoting his stuff, so I get something for free. I actually sent my daughter Hannah to you probably eight, nine yeah, years ago. My love. And, and we paid you for that. You did. And I actually paid him for a session to help me prep for a thing at the Road Rally one year. So none of this is quid pro quo. Which was actually an honor because, you know, Michael, well... I won't, I won't do that thing, but I love him and I Aww. admire him. But so, so you can do the five by five. That's one thing. Or if you're interested in the 90-day uh, uh, workshop as well, let me know about that. And, yeah, you're welcome to do both. That would be amazing. But uh, uh, just hit me up with email. <coughs> I've Steven seen it with my own point. eyes. You guys know I never, ever, ever endorse anything in, unless I would fall on a sword for it. I would fall on a sword for him. I get nothing. There's no kickback, no nothing. Um, you know, a bunch of us, a thousand people saw it in the ballroom that year, and I've had taxi members over the years that have used him and, and just loved him. So with that, let me bid you a fond farewell. Thank you, um, uh, next week, I'm trying to get Rob Shirelli, depending on his schedule, uh, was just with them. Uh, Rob and Teresa and Deb and I went out to see a movie on Saturday night. And I said, as they were getting out of the car, will you do Taxi TV a week from Monday? He said, call me. So we're trying to hook that up. What um, a talent he is. He, boy, man, his, his <clears> career <throat> just has gone to another level yeah. the last couple of years. What a yeah. hardworking, great guy he is. And Stephen, thank you so much for Michael, doing this. Michael, thank you for having me, really. Always my pleasure. You blow my mind. You really do. The, thank you. The, there are vocal coaches, and then there's memo. <laughs> I love with what that, I do, and I love helping people. Uh, it, it's obvious. It's so incredibly obvious. And with that, I bid you folks... A fond farewell. See you in a week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. Yeah, baby. Woohoo!